Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. It's good to sing together. And thank you for those of you that have joined us online and are watching from home. And stay uh, warm, hopefully at home, but also stay healthy. And um, want you to know we love you guys as well, those of you that can't be here today. I want to invite all of you to just think with me for about the next 20 minutes. I want you to lean in and consider why the birth of Jesus among all the births in all of human history is so significant. I mean, why is this one baby that popped out of the womb so critical to everything we, we are about as a church and everything that, we, that, that, that really revolves around your life? And why was Jesus born? There could be a lot of answers to that question. I had a lot of ways we could go with that. I think the, one of the primary Christian answers for why Christ was born was so that we would know what God is like. God sent his son to be born of a woman so that we might begin to understand more about who God is. So we would know who he is. And God wanted us to know him, and so he sent his son. And that's certainly not all of what it means, but in Christian beliefs, that's a central feature of that. That Jesus Christ is the clearest, best, most understandable way for us to comprehend who the God of the universe is. And so Christ came to us. Now, let's be honest, knowing what God is like is not a very easy task, is it? And it can be especially confusing in a complex and confusing world like the one that we live in currently and the ideas that are tossed around. And, uh, and there's, we, we just suffer from so much information overload that there's ideas that are constantly pounded in our head about what, um, the world, how the world works, but also about who God is. And uh, there's a lot of different places we look to try to get information about God, isn't there? In one place we might look, we might look at other Christians. And the problem with looking at other Christians is that most of them are like me, which means on a really good day, I might reflect what Christ looks like, but on a bad day, I neglect what Christ looks like. And so there's an up and a down to to that if we put all our weight in looking around at other Christians. Another place that we might look for information about God um, might be at the church. But in an election year like this, you might get misled and begin to think that Christianity is really about power brokers trying to wield political influence. Uh, we might look at some churches, and church, churches oftentimes that are in the press seem more celebrity-driven, and it, it's almost hard to find the humble servant of a Jesus who came that would wash the feet of others in the midst of that. And so sometimes when we look at other Christians, when we look at even Christians in the church, it can fall short. And maybe, maybe not point us in the direction. Now, in some circles, I think we, we look for, we look for um, information about God outside of, the, outside of the walls of a church. And so some of us may look, and, and we may begin to look at nature. And, and nature tells us something about God, and you might get a sense of his majesty and his beauty and his goodness through the creation of the world, but it's still going to fall short and not tell you everything you need to know. Um, another place we may look, we may look inside. We may look to our feelings, to our intuitions, to our conscience, to our kind of gut sense of life and how it works. 
And, and that may give us a sense of what God might be like on, on one hand, but it also oftentimes means we're going to flip back and forth based on whatever feelings and circumstances may change in any given day. And so we may get tossed around by all the stuff that's going on in here. Another place I think that people sometimes look is to the world's wisdom and philosophy. And when we look at the world's wisdom and philosophy, we may find some incredibly bright ideas and really good ideas, but they oftentimes get mixed. Uh, they're oftentimes filled with just partial truths, and they get mixed together, confused, and wrapped up in a package that's confusing about who God may be. They may also, and probably more likely these days, just reject the idea of God altogether. Now, another place you may want to look is you may want to look at other religions. And here's what I want to point out on Christmas. There's no other religion in the world that's built upon a foundation of God coming to us in order to lay down his life and rescue us. You'll not find that anywhere else. And so as we come to Christmas, I, I, here's, what I wanna, here's what I want to say. All of those ideas are worthy of viable uh, conversation and discussion and consideration, but they all fall short. They all short, fall short of the truth of, the Christ, of Christianity. And in, what Christmas is, is, Christmas is a reminder that any exploration of the Christian faith has to ultimately point us to the person of Christ. That Christianity it rises and falls on the person of Jesus, and anything that's not primarily fixated on him is doomed to miss the mark. So here's what I want to do today. I want us to lean in. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 1, and uh, you're welcome to turn there. You're welcome to read along behind me. But we're going to look at just four verses in the New Testament that point us in the direction of uh, Christ and how God has spoken and revealed himself through the person of Jesus. And here's what we're going to see. If if you want to experience a deep, meaningful life with God, more than anything else, you're going to have to fix your hopes on the, pers- on the life and, and the actions of Jesus. Because that's where um, hope is truly found. So let's read Hebrews chapter 1. It says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So our text starts with a, with a big idea. It starts off with a, a big idea that God spoke. God has, has spoke into our world. And the theological term for that, that that we oftentimes throw around, our doctrinal term is revelation. It means that God has revealed himself to us in a way that we could comprehend him. He, he spoke and wanted to uh, make sure that we uh, understood who he was. And so we were locked out from heaven and God in his speaking cracked the door open so that we could peer in and get a glimpse of who he is. And so he began to communicate truth to us. And really God is making known to us uh, that which we could not have discovered on our own. Notice it says that he did so in many times and in many ways. Uh, you can think back through, if you kind of grew up in church, if you've been around church very much at all, you can think through stories, or if you just have read the Bible as a book of literature, you know of Noah and his ark, and God spoke and told him there's going to be a flood, and, uh, and so God communicated that to him. God invited Moses up on a mountain, if you've seen the movie, you know, uh, and God gave him the, the law, 
Uh, God spoke to Elijah, it said, in a still, small voice. And it says God spoke through the prophets, that he had spokespeople. And so he would communicate to them, and they would communicate to the rest of the world what God was like. And so it starts off in this, in this and it says that, uh, that God spoke. But then in verse 2, it says that after centuries of speaking through others, God's spoken to us by his Son. And what he means by that is that as wonderful and beautiful as the Scriptures are, and you guys know me enough to know that I love this book and I love the revelation that God has given in it. But as wonderful and beautiful as they are, they could not contain the beauty and the glory of Christ in the way that his personal presence did. And so God spoke to us through the prophets, but he also spoke to us through the coming of a Savior. He had to come. Remember the old saying that sometimes if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself? Um, that's kind of the idea here, is that God says, okay, you guys did as well as you could. You did really, really, you, you were really helpful. You, you showed the world who I was to an extent and to the best of your ability and the best of my ability to, to do that through you, but there's no way for them to truly wrap their arms around that truth apart from the presence of God himself. And so God became a man and came to communicate to us, really, who God, um, who through the person of Christ. You notice it says, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. And so Jesus is, is an exact imprint. Any of you have a, kids, any of you have a favorite Christmas cookie? You have a favorite cookie that you just think, man, when I think of Christmas, this is the family cookie that we always get. In my house, it's, it's my mom's famous sugar cookies. And anyone that's ever been to my, my parents' house around the holidays knows that my mom has a famous cookie recipe and, uh, and we just, we chow through those things. And so mom takes the dough and she gets the, the sugar cookie dough already and she rolls it out. And as she does, she takes a cookie cutter that looks something like this. And what does she do with it? She takes it and she puts it down on the dough and she presses it in. She makes an imprint of this Christmas tree. And then she peels that off and sets them out on a cookie, on a cookie sheet. She bakes them. And then she takes them and puts this perfect green icing all over the top of it. And we, then, then she hides them and threatens my father so that we hope, so that there's still some available when Christmas actually gets here. Uh, because my dad's oftentimes going to sneak in and try to gobble up whatever he can get. But the reality for that is that's the picture that we're meant to have here is there's an imprint of something that, we, that is meant to represent something else. And you can do that with a cookie. But what the scriptures say is that God did that with his son that Jesus Christ was the exact imprint of the very nature of God. He was, in essence, God himself. And so as he came to us, he was the best way for us to understand who God really is. Now, let me just say the obvious. Analogies all break down at some point, right? As Christ is not just a cookie cutter that kind of represents something bigger than he is. He's not just a, kind of a representative thing. He isn't someone who just kind of put on flesh and was a person who looked a lot like God. But he was, actually in, in, he was actually God and actually man, God in the flesh. It's why Matthew 1 talks about when, when, Jesus was, when it was revealed that Jesus was coming, it says that we would call his name what? Emmanuel, God with us. God was actually here. And then you get to Colossians 1.15, it says that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. I mean, God, God didn't have a body, God was spirit, and God is invisible. But because of that, he took on flesh and made himself visible and revealed himself to us in the flesh as a person who came into this world. He was, Jesus' God with skin on. 
Jesus actually gave a lesson to one of his friends, Philip, one time. Uh, Philip was pushing Jesus and kind of, you know, the disciples, if you know much about the disciples, they're always asking Jesus for just a little bit more. Like, Jesus, if you do a little better job communicating, then we'd get it. Like, then we'd really get it. And so Philip says to Jesus, Jesus, if you just show us who the Father is, that would be enough. And what's, Phil, what's Jesus say to Philip? He says, have you been with me so long and you still don't know? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. To, to, see the, to see Christ himself is to see the Father, is what Jesus said. And so, in that, it's why the writer of Hebrews wants us to see about Jesus. Jesus was the exact imprint of the nature of God. But also says he's the radiance of his glory. And when it talks about the radiance of his glory, what he's saying is Jesus, in coming to earth, it was God kind of flipping the switch on the neon lights that flash above going, hey, come and see how good I am. And his, he was wanting to make sure no one missed it. He wanted to make it crystal clear that everyone would understand how good God is. And he did it because, through the coming of his son. Now the radiance of Christ, if you think about uh, the night sky and you go out and you look at the stars at nighttime, well, what happens when the sunrise comes and the sun begins to rise? And the stars begin to fade, don't they? See, that's, that's what happens with the, the revelation of Jesus, with his brightness. It was so bright that all the other revelation begins to fade. It makes, it makes the, the prophets look like Morse code when Jesus is coming in full 3D communication right in front of them. And so as we think about that in Christ, what God wanted you to do is he wanted you to see his very heart walking around on two legs amongst us. So that when we watch how he interacts with people, when we watch how he interacts with the woman who committed adultery, that we see his compassion. That when we see how he interacts with the, the woman at the well who's lost her way and he says, and he offers her hope, that we would see something of the heart of God. We would watch how he restores a Peter who has failed and we'd see something of the heart of God in that. We watch how he would challenge and push at those who had false ideas and we'd understand that he is committed to truth and he's unwavering in his righteousness and in his holiness. And so in all those interactions as Jesus walked around on this planet, we got to see kind of a front row seat of what God and his character is like and the heart of God is in the flesh. But there's a problem, isn't there? Some people are blind to truth. Some people don't see the beauty and the glory and the goodness of Christ. In that, in fact, 2 Corinthians 4 says this. It says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them away from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's a lot that we could unpack there. But the bottom line is this. God has to open our hearts and he shines his light in our hearts so that we might see Jesus for the glorious one that he is. And for those of you that don't believe, what's saying is the God of this world has darkened your eyes so that you don't really see who Jesus is and you don't really embrace him. But the Bible's clear of what prevents us from seeing the glory of Christ. It's unbelief. It's unbelief that keeps us away from Christ. Each of us has gone astray and turned to his own way. We've separated ourselves from God and turned and gone on our own direction. And what the Bible says is the only path back 
is for us to turn and to trust him. That we have to give up our own way and come back, but on our own, we all fall short. And not only that, not only do we fall short on our own because we've diverted ourselves and gone astray, but there's an evil one who continues to propel us and push us in that direction. And there's an evil world that continues to, to call us and to, to distract us so that we don't see the, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. That's the simple message of the Bible, is that we are blinded and we don't see him, and the only thing we can do is to turn and trust him. And in doing so, God will give us life, and he'll give us faith. What makes a holiday a holy day is faith, that we have to bring faith to it. And friends, maybe this Christmas you need to ask God to shine his light in your heart so that you would see the glory of Christ maybe for the first time. See, I'm convinced that there's thousands in our city who have sung songs about Jesus, who have sat and heard stories about Jesus, who have driven by churches with crosses that represent Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. And they haven't greeted him by faith and the delight of their hearts has not come on to the glory and the beauty of who he is. Friends, can I give you one more big idea in these verses? Just one, one, more, one more big concept I want us to grab today. The mystery of Christianity is that Jesus was God, but also became a baby who was born and walked among us. Let me ask you the question, why would a powerful God do such a thing? Why would, it, would, it, why would an all-powerful, all, all all-eternal um, God step into the world? It was to show us himself and to rescue us. The, the silver dollar word or the theological term I want us to land on tonight is condescension. Now, condescension's kind of got a bad, uh, bad rap in our day. We think of condescension as a negative thing, right? Like, it's something you look at, and it's someone you, you look down on them. You look, you kind of you pity them. You, you kind of scoff at them. It's like, well, you condescending. Like, you know, it's just, it's got that kind of a tone to it. But you know, that's not really the, the primary meaning of that word. That's just a nuance that our world is wrapped around it. The, the term when you think about, and the idea that when you think about it in terms of the scriptures of, of condescension is something really different. And, and here's what I mean by that. Jesus, in all of his glory, um, is, not, is, is not one that we can wrap our brains around his majesty and his beauty and his goodness. His glory and the radiance of his glory is so big that we can't comprehend it. And so he condescended to come to us and explain it in a way that we could actually wrap our minds around who he is. He came to us like a parent getting down on the ground to talk to a child, to make sure that child understands, that gets eye to eye with them and says, I want to make sure you hear me. Maybe even grabs their face and speaks truth to them. It's a doctor who gets down on a knee to explain a treatment to a patient. And there's this humility to it. It's a towering athlete who leans down and greets a child and maybe gives them an autograph. And the reason we rejoice in moments like those is because it reflects a bigger moment, a condescension that's really much greater. Because we can think of a person in a higher strat of life condescending to help out someone in a little bit lower station. But it's a whole different thing to think of the, the eternal God of the universe who is holy and other than we are, stepping into our world and condescending so that we can understand who he is. And we can wrap our brains, our little finite brains, around some sense of the love that he must have for us to have stepped into the world in such a way as that.
And so friends, as we think about uh, this Christmas, I want us to think about the condescension of Christ and what that means to us. Christ's coming was not just a condescension to our level in order to speak to us, but he actually condescended in order to help us ascend. Um, C.S. Lewis says this. In the Christian story, God descends in order to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still into the womb, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. But he goes down in order to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. One has a picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift and he must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. And do you get the beauty of what it is Christ has done? See, in Christ coming and becoming a baby, he, he wasn't just coming so that we would sing songs and have a nice holiday. He was coming because it was a holy day. And he was condescending to us so that he might then help us ascend. And he was bringing us back to him. The glory of God in Christ is not the glory of shattering power, but the glory of suffering love, one man said. Christ suffered for us. The Son who came in radiant glory gave his life as a sacrifice of love. That's why it states that after making purification of sins, he sat down victorious in the presence of God. Because he was reconnecting us to heaven. He was reconnecting us to the God of the universe. And in that, Christ came to earth in order to open us a path back to be connected to God. He, he, he closed the gap between the holy and the unholy. He closed the gap between the infinite and the finite. And he made way for us to understand who God is. And he sat down because D-Day for all humanity was over and he had won the battle. And so Christ was victorious. And friends, that's why we celebrate and rejoice each Christmas. That's why we don't just consider Christ and discuss Christ, but that's why we worship Christ. That's why we exalt him. That's why we light a candle in his name on Christmas Eve. Friends, we're not proclaiming ourselves. We're not proclaiming some movement that we have orchestrated. We're proclaiming Christ, the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of the nature of God. And that's why we light candles at Christmas. Friends, darker days need deeper theology. Um, if you're new here, if you're a guest today, I want you to know we'd love to walk with you in the year ahead. And we'd love to tell you more about this one named Jesus who loved you enough to come and to rescue you.